You're listening to The Propaganda Report with Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. On today's episode, we talk President Trump's speech to Congress. We play some clips and break down media manipulation tactics. We talk about why former President George Bush is back in the news. And we show you how the current movements, Indivisible and the Women's March movements, are using the same propaganda techniques that were used by the communist Chinese on American prisoners of war during the Korean War. Here's Monica. This is episode 30 of the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez here with Brad Binkley, and we are going to talk about the news of the week, starting with President Trump's address to Congress, which was in our time yesterday. Binkley, did you catch that speech? I did. Can I interject one thing before we get going? (laughs) Sure, sure. I wanted to tell people that we are starting a Patreon account to help us fund our our mission. Even if you don't have funds to help out, other ways that you can help out is just tell your friends about it. If you like the show, spread it around on social media, and we will be uh, very appreciated and much love. Oh, that's a great idea, that even if you can't pitch in, to just share it. Yeah. Okay, back to the uh, Trump okay, speech. Yes, the Trump speech. I, I know that um, – You have a lot of uh, interesting observations about that and other events that are surrounding this uh, week in the news. I just I just want to make one one observation about the speech. I could literally like pull apart the speech and write a paragraph on every sentence, probably. Uh, But the thing but I just want to make this one big overarching point about what I think is going on. Big picture. Uh, so for for a while now, I've been wondering, and I still wonder if the meaning of Trump. I'm searching for the true meaning of Trump, and I and I don't think it's what you see is what you get. It's true. I really like that's how I think of it, and I don't I don't think it's what Keith Olbermann or whatever is telling us about Trump. I don't think it sounds like a Christmas Trump. special. Yes, the meaning of Trump. True meaning think- of Trump. I don't think Alex Jones is telling us the true meaning. I don't think Wolf Blitzer is or uh, the Brett Bear. I, I just don't think you're getting I'm really trying to figure it out. Even guys who are true alternative free thinkers, I, I don't – I just can't see that anyone's truly cracked the code. So I have wondered if even some of the stuff that Trump is doing, he's doing intentionally to fail. So he can say, I tried, but – but by doing it in such an aggressive, bombastic way, he he knows it's going to fail, and he's really subverting those very interests. I, I'm moving away from that thought. Moving away from that thought. I'm moving away from that. I'm, I'm not saying that the ultimate goal isn't still globalism. I'm just saying I don't think he's talking about the wall and not really going to build it. I, I actually think he's going to build it, and I, and I think there are other things – that he's talking about in this speech last night, he talked about massive buildup in defense spending. When Mike Pence went to Europe, he reiterated what Trump said: "You people need to spend more on Whoa, defense." You people. <laughs> you people, you guys need to spend more on defense. <laughs> and uh, and the and the manufacturing, you know, this is another thing. I just could not figure out why they basically created. This, you know, brush fire of demand for manufacturing jobs. I mean, at a certain point, they're gone so long that the people who are missing them are out of the workforce. And what 
makes more sense is to focus on where you have your comparative advantage, which are actually more profitable industries, entertainment, tech. These are higher margin industries. You make the whole country richer with the same amount of jobs if that's where you go. Yet they continue to focus on turning inward, manufacturing you, you know, steel from the United States, stuff like that. And I made the connection a while ago. But I think it's more meaningful than I realized that Mussolini had that idea. It was called autarky. And the really the reason to do it is if you're building up for war, that you actually have to have a big industrial base. So perhaps all signs are pointing to war because that's really what we're going to have. And then I have some stuff about the speech that are kind of, he, as usual, talks out of both sides of his mouth. I can read you some quotes. But what do you think about that? That's interesting. Do you think that he might be preparing for war with against the globalist or that the globalists through him are preparing for war? I think they're preparing for war with Russia. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I think yeah. that – and who wants war with Russia? Brzezinski wants war with Russia. Russia yeah. might want us to have war with Russia. You know what I mean? I, it doesn't – it's not to say that – if 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 war is in our interest, it might also be in Putin's interest, and it's always in the banker's interest. And when you think about what happened to the defeated powers, look at Germany and Japan. They ended up better off than Russia, our ally. So it's not necessarily bad to fight and lose. And, and one thing that comes out of big wars, world wars, is a world monetary regime change. So we took over from the British, I guess, after World War II. It must have been after World War II that um, I know, like, the decline and fall of the British Empire was kind of after World War I. But uh, if they want to change from the U.S. dollar being the kind of basic currency of the world to a basket or special drawing rights or whatever they call it, a war might be in the cards for everybody, a real hot war it could be i mean i'm i'm worried about it but i just uh i can't deny that it's possible that they really are doing what it looks like they're doing right and but let me yeah could be war against china like the other argument could be that he's preparing to to fight the uh against the the people who are spreading globalism which i guess would be against china yeah, I if you listen to that Corbett report video on the kind of backstory of China, which is it's such what James Corbett calls the three-dimensional chess game, like we're in comp- competition with them in some regards, but in others uh we're not and actually he points the finger at Rockefeller, David Rockefeller in arming China and sending over defense technology and intentionally building them up as a military power. So Again, we could have the war in China, but it could have been what he wanted all along. And then there's always this idea that that's been the back of there that he's admitted to of wanting to converge the East and West. And if everything's kind of broken, it might be easier to push it together at that point. But I had a couple of quotes from the speech, which I I want to read. And then uh, I know that you have some clips that we're going to listen to, which was going to be fun. I don't have clips of the speech, although you could maybe... I'll attach the video, um, but the maybe I should have pulled the clip. Sorry about that. Anyway, it said he says uh, Trump said last night, "I am sending the Congress a budget that rebuilds the military 
eliminates the defense sequester and calls for one of the largest increases in national defense spending in American history. This is in his speech. And I'll tell you, we already spend as much on defense as the rest of the world combined. So all our enemies put together, supposedly, and all our allies put together, could all together are so we could fight the entire rest of the world alone just based on dollars, if dollars is what makes you stronger. And that, I guess, is the argument. And I think we spend almost 10 times as much as Russia. So there's if they're so bad at defense that they can spend more than the rest of the world put together and still not feel safe, I don't think giving them more money makes sense. But <laughs> they are building up for war. And the next thing he said was, or shortly thereafter, he said, we expect our partners, whether in NATO, in the Middle East, or the Pacific, to take a direct and meaningful role in both strategic and military operations and pay their fair share of the cost. So he's really asking people to build up for war, prepare for war. I mean, that's what that says to me. Yeah, and you know, the wall, the wall is, is possibly more evidence of that, even though it's being promoted on the grounds of, uh, you know, illegal immigrants. That's you know, building a wall is the first thing countries used to do, or, or tribes used to do in the olden days to protect themselves from outside threats. Ah, that's a good point. Or to keep people in, if people start fleeing, like yeah, the Vietnam true. guys draft. Dodgers or whatever would flee to Canada. You know, if you want to keep, if you want to close up the, I was thinking that, that they would want to, you know, socialist countries need to build walls to keep the brain drain from happening. You need to keep your workers from escaping because it's a basically slavery, but perhaps you have to keep your, your soldiers from, you know, your draftees. Although I would think, I don't know enough about what the future of <laughs> what world war three would look like. I don't know how many human yeah. beings they need. If it's all going to be like, drones and stuff but the wall Digital. i think yeah the wall i don't think is a good idea i even because when you look at the immigration problems in the rest of the world it's not especially in the western world it's not about physically being physically incapable of keeping people out that is not what it's about it's about the policymakers. i think the wall is a diversion to keep people from realizing that it's all about the policy and they um the oh what was i thinking about that well they they can keep you busy talking about how the wall. Oh, I have a friend. This is it. A friend of mine has a ranch that borders Mexico. The border of the ranch is on the Rio Grande. And he said they used to be able to walk up to the river and now they can't because the drug cartels have snipers there to keep competing drug cartels from crossing the border. So <laughs> as far as my friend is concerned, the border is completely closed. You can't even go <laughs> near it. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So it's really not the walls for I, it's either just a jobs program, you know, cronyism, because he talks a lot about all the infrastructure. Uh, you know, I don't know, but it could have a more sinister thing. And then, but so here's all this talk about war. Then, as usual, Trump says the exact opposite or something that might lead you to the opposite conclusion. Uh, right in like the next breath. And I think this goes to dog whistling, which you had told me what it means last time. And I wrote a little glossary entry of it where they say stuff uh, that 
that appeals to people who are trained to hear those words. Somebody yeah. sent me a video recently of Nigel Farage, the guy, the British guy, who was talking about um, these kids who were trained in public schools are beyond communists now. They're, they themselves are the fascists. And he, he said all these things that, that people can trigger, you know, those words that sound familiar to them. So, so Trump said, we will respect historic institutions, but we will also respect the sovereign rights of nations. Like, I love to hear that because American exceptionalism is the opposite of respecting sovereignty. What American exceptionalism, people don't really know this, but what it really means is we are an exception to the rule of the law of nations where you have to respect people's sovereignty. We want our sovereignty respected, but we are exempt from it, respecting the sovereignty of others. So that was a little dog whistle for me. He says, free nations are the best vehicle for expressing the will of the people, and America respects the right of all nations to chart their own path. Should have been paths. My job is not to represent the world. My job is to represent the United States of America. But we know that America is better off when there is less conflict, not more. Totally true. And he says, finally, the only long-term solution for these humanitarian disasters is to create the conditions where displaced persons can safely return home and begin the long process of rebuilding. That is true. Our wars spread these things like wildfire. And if we would stop the wars, people could go back. Him throwing that stuff in about rebuilding, that's going to cost us money probably. But he's saying stuff that I really respond to. But I don't I don't think he's going to stop, you know, because then he talks about eradicating ISIS, which just means more bombs, more troops in the Middle East. This problem, as long as they keep up the farce of saying they want to destroy ISIS – these problems are going to persist, but I just feel like yeah. there's some dog whistling in here, but I I'm leaning towards real big, hot war, big, hot war. <laughs> yes. So, so did you like the speech? Well, what was your feel? Your well, overall, I couldn't just, listen you could sum to it. it up. I yeah, I had to read it. I couldn't listen to it. I, I tried to listen to it, but it's just difficult. I, he threw me off because he doesn't, he's not really a speech reader like the rest of the politicians are. Yeah. So he's not, for some reason, he's not like fully trained and how to let people applause. So it makes yeah. it really seem like it was written for him. So when he first came out of the gate and started talking about civil rights and people were like giving him a standing ovation, he just keeps reading. I have a clip of that and I have a, oh. uh, there, I have a, actually, I want to talk about that specific moment in a second. Yeah, I had to stop listening to it, and just normally I'll just listen to it on two times speed, but I couldn't even do that. So I so I read it instead, and uh, I guess that takes some of the fun out of it. But it just seemed like he's promising everything to everyone, and and he actually makes a lot more democratic promises, you know, promises Democrats would make, and and then the the result is that the only like that video you sent me of Keith Olbermann, the resist video has to absolutely focus entirely on identity because the policy stuff, frankly, he talks about reforming Obamacare. He's not talking about repealing it and instituting liberty and free markets. He has a laundry list of how much more he's going to give. So for me, it was just kind of, uh, He's just a big government guy, a big, big government guy, and we're going to have a lot of debt and maybe even a war. So I can't say right. I was <laughs> I was super psyched by the speech. What about his his plan to every time you make one regulation, you have to remove two regulations? 
Well, why why are you making more regulations? You make one regulation that covers, but you know what I mean? That's just a setup. Why not just get rid of it? Administrative law is unconstitutional. The executive right. branch does not have power to make laws. They should completely dismantle all administrative bodies. Why Why trade two for one? That just means more regulations that people were not, you know, they just got used to the old ones and then you put new ones in. It's very disruptive, very costly. Just how about I am asking you all to cut your regulations in half, eliminate half your regulations. That would be awesome. Well, then you got to make 25 regulations if you want to eliminate uh, what, right, 50 my, regulations. Yeah, but my way would be don't do that. Just eliminate them. And I, and I believe that David Cameron made this in England, made the same promises when he came into office and it didn't really pan out. It was not a practical. Yeah, I don't know if that's plan. ever actually panned out anywhere. Right, right. So, so, all right, what you said a second ago, let, let's uh, play that clip from the very beginning where he talks about civil rights. Okie doke. And citizen of South America, tonight, as we mark the conclusion of our celebration of Black History Month, we are reminded of our nation's path towards civil rights and the work that still remains to be done. Recent threats. Okay, so you heard the awkward uh, pause there. Like he was kept going and then they, everybody stood up and yeah, gave the standing. He was moving right on to the anti-Semitism thing. Like that was his big moment. And, uh, and he just couldn't, and I know because I've given speeches before, like you focus on something, you know, you're nervous. He starts out cold. I've noticed this. He starts out cold, but I must say yeah, the citizens of America thing drives me crazy. Citizens of America. It's citizens of the United States. Chileans oh, are citizens yeah. of America. Yeah. America is like 20 countries. So I have a I have a theory on on why that also that that was him you know just not being used to it but I think it's something more that was right after he uh, gave Melania the standing ovation by the way who absolutely ah. did not want to be there she hated every minute of that place <laughs> you could tell by the look on that her face that was so such a cheap you know way to get a laugh or a cut I thought applause. it was going to be cat calls you know going to take it yeah. off you know? but, uh, right so <laughs> that line that Trump made it was like the exact same line that Obama made in the last one of these that he gave mm, and it's the same mm-hmm. line that, yeah. that, that he gave in all of, in all of these, hold on my computers. Uh, it, it's the same type of line that Obama has given for the past eight years and probably Bush as well. I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen. Mm, I don't but, remember her. I don't remember that from him, but I totally remember it with Obama. It's like when Lois says nine 11 on family guy. Every time <laughs> it's a trigger. We are conditioned as a society to accept that we are so far away from solving the civil rights problem that we just that, that there's so much work has to be done. That's not to say that there's not a problem, that there's not conflict, but we're conditioned to not recognize any improvements. So we're conditioned oh, yes. to accept that this is always going to be a problem that we're never going to get close to finishing it. And you can tell, by the way, everybody felt like they had to immediately. I mean, it was an yes. instinctual, unconscious reaction to the word civil rights and all of that. So the problem is so built into the fabric of our society, we can't even improve it. Yeah. And we hoped that Obama would do that. 
Totally. And that's that's the thing is they want it to be built into the fabric of our society. Yes. Like, oh, for sure. They've conditioned us to not even be able to recognize improvements. And I think that was just another piece of evidence of that. Yeah, I think the crisis was – it was basically the younger generation, people our age and anybody younger than us, maybe it's different in the sticks. I don't know, but I don't know anybody who – I just maybe I'm naive. I did not feel like the racial issue was a big deal until Obama and when and when Obama got elected, people really thought finally that chapter would be over just purely by virtue of the fact that he was elected. And uh, they they actually use that to make it worse, not better, which yeah. I think demonstrates that it's purely a politically motivated thing. Yeah. And I think the racial thing, I think there are obviously problems, probably more so in inner cities and then you know where you or I might you know spend most of our time but the the way that it's exaggerated it's it's certain events are held up and dramatized uh, on television and they're made to seem as though this is the standard type of thing that's going on all over the country when in reality this is a rare exception but that's being used to condition the public which in turn is going to is what causes some of these self-fulfilling prophecies that is stimulated by the media. Yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I definitely oh, have yeah, witnessed yeah. it. I'm just saying I don't think it's this massive driving theme. I think we were headed in the right direction and I think giving yeah. making it emphasizing it they obviously are making it worse, obviously, and emphasizing it is headed right. in the wrong direction. It's just yeah. the people who are say they're trying to fix it are the ones who are actually they're, they're not. They need it. I think they need it, and I think that I think that's the point is they need it, and so they they've conditioned it to where it's just a trigger. Yeah, that's interesting. Push yeah, that button. Yep. That's the only clip that I pulled from the speech because there was just I mean it was just all these speeches to me while they do have meaning. It's just I I just get bored with the rhetoric yeah. of it. It was a nice moment yes. when he called out the. The, the wife of the the soldier that died. Van Jones yeah. even said that that was the moment that Trump became president for everyone. Yeah, but CNN, you know, the that. father of that guy wants an investigation and Trump slapped him down. So yeah. oh, I he? thought it was super manipulative, yeah, to have the wife there. He didn't have the father there. Yeah, yeah, they always have these um, these emotional moments where it doesn't matter who's president. You, I mean, we physically can't not react to them because we're humans. And whether they're genuine or not, it's just a it's just a matter of whether you believe the politician who happens to be in control at that time. Well, that reminds me that I, I actually hate that stuff, and he slid tons of that stuff in, like giving isolated examples with people by name. And the and the person – now, remember, I read it. I didn't watch it, so I didn't have the emotionalism. But one of the people he highlighted, her great triumph was not only being the first person to graduate from high school, but the first person to graduate from college in her family. And now she's a proud social worker. <laughs> I was like – that is a bummer. Like, why don't you say now she's a person who, you know, makes something. Now she's somebody who has skills. I mean, they really funnel people into social work. I knew someone was going to be a pharmacist, uh, no, a hotel management. And they, they talked her into switching to social work. I'm like, that's okay. There's a place for that, but should it be such, uh, I don't know. Am I wrong? Give me some feedback here. Like, I, I just don't think that's a 
I would have um, to know what kind of social work she's doing. Like if she's working with kids because she wants to help people that were in her type yes, of situation. Yes, but it's, all, it's a government – it's almost 100% certain that it's a government-paid job. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's almost 100% certain that this is a big government – you know what I mean? It's buying into the nanny state, the big government state. If it were private – Okay, but what social workers are private? I mean, I have a kid with Down syndrome. I can't even find a school for him that's private because the public sector crowds it out. So that's all I'm saying. Like, that's just not something a conservative would ever, ever highlight as, like, the pinnacle of achievement. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just – I mean, I'm not not belittling social workers. I get – they help me sometimes. But I just think that's a fun. It was a funny example, and all that emotionalism of highlighting these individuals. I mean, anybody you know as well as I do, that taking one isolated example in a you know a, a society of three hundred and twenty million people is totally fallacious argument. It's just a, you know, it's just purely for emotional. It doesn't say it doesn't say anything about the state of society or. The, you know, is this the most important issue? Is this a triumph? Is this improvement? It gives no information. It's just an emotional device. Yeah, it's, you know, and they have different people that target different types of groups to appeal to what they care the most about. Right. Yes. I I bet if I went back and looked, you could see every demo checked a la Mercer and Kellyanne Conway and their, their psychological profiling. Yeah, a lot goes into this stuff. The speech was received pretty well, even by most networks, even CNN. MSNBC, however, did not. MSNBC, I watched this, This, uh, I guess it was Hardball, right after the speech. And, I mean, before you even have time, you've talked about this before, before you even have time to digest it, there's already mm-hmm. this definitive conclusion about how you feel about it and, and about how bigoted it is or about how ridiculous it is. And right. I want to play this clip from uh, Michael Moore, who was on Hardball. Michael Moore is a known propagandist. He's, he's discussed in, in, in academic propaganda papers and books because he is such a, a known manipulator. But he, he is a spokesperson for this whole uh, resistance movement on the left. Let's uh, listen to his statements. He's, being, he's talking to Chris Matthews about his views on the speech and some of Trump's most recent actions. Here it is. Earlier today, the Pennsylvania attorney general said that in his meeting with Trump, Trump, yes, Trump said, uh, you know, these bomb threats to the Jewish centers um, may not be, uh, you know, they may not be coming in from right wing. Yeah, uh, like people. the JDL did it. Yeah, uh, I mean, give me a yes, break. Like, I mean, who like are these people? Jews these and active... liberals might be doing yeah, it yeah. to make us look bad. But there still is a JDL. Uh, OK, so yeah. but that's 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 what he said earlier yeah, today. Yeah. Tonight in the speech. Powerful words against anti-Semitism, yeah. and 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 we have to fight bigotry, and and it's it was up today, down tonight, down. The other thing today, as you pointed Who's out, who's buying the down market argument? Who's going to buy the argument that pro people that are? First of all, there was an implicit admission there. Didn't he get that that he wasn't aware of? He's saying everybody thinks my crowd's anti-Semitic, therefore they're doing this stuff to make my crowd look good, right? Look bad. Yes. I mean, there was an implication there that he's got a problem with his cotillion, his coalition. He, yes, and that's why he said that to the. Attorney General today, yeah, and and then, I mean that's such a that's such a joke, that that's such a, it, it's such a fallacy, uh, a false dichotomy that it can't also be true that there are because naturally, just because there are bad people, 
on and doesn't matter who's president there are people who call in threats to jewish centers uh, that that is known there is that's why we have these organizations like the uh what that is it the acl aclu he was he was saying the jdl which i guess is the jewish the defense league yeah that's they, I, I looked. I did some research on it, and they have these handbooks that they've been passing around to these Jewish community centers for at least ten years on how to handle threats that, that call in. I saw this other thing where where uh, another, um, I think it was CNN, where the anchor was like, they just they just now started rec- uh, recording the number of bomb threats after January because they feared that it was increasing. So I'm like, oh, so you don't really actually have the statistics <laughs> oh, on this? That's what I thought when we talked about it last time. I was like, what kind exactly. of – I don't even believe it. I don't even – I'm not like saying that people – yeah. And, and what Michael Moore's trying to get the audience and the other guy to accept here is that he's trying to say that all these other people are trying to – that liberals are doing it to make Trump look bad, but then he is apologizing – He's saying we we shouldn't stand for bigotry. Like both of those things can't possibly be true. That, that there are anti-Semites that do these things, and that there are also liberals that are increasing the number of them so to make it seem as though he is an anti-Semite to appeal to the fears of the people who care about those issues the most, who who are almost afraid that he might be Hitler. And it, it's absurd because we have these cases of known. Examples where there have been people who have gone and spray painted swastikas all over Philadelphia, and they they blamed a Trump supporter. It was a black guy who did not support Trump. Like we have proven examples of this type of behavior, and here he is going, "Wow, he's he's up there apologizing for." He, he said, "Michael Moore, he is a disgusting." human being when you look at him like, i don't even it, it's painful to look at him and the way that he manipulates people just this this intellectual pseudo intellectual bullshit that he, that he he makes his audience say oh yeah well he you know he he's admitting that his followers are anti-semites because he apologized i wouldn't be surprised if he is super super deep state because yeah, I think because so, he yes. knew he called the trump win and that made him very relevant all of a sudden again. Like he's he was on, on every all the talk single shows night. right before and after the election. Did and you notice that a, in that clip yeah, though? Yeah. I couldn't see it, so I, I wasn't sure who was. He was talking to Chris Matthews. Chris Matthews, sorry, not Dave Matthews. He, yes, it was clear. Well, I thought it was what Chris Chris Matthews said that was. The, obviously ridiculous. Yeah. Like he didn't even realize he was making this implicit admission that his people are anti-Semites. It's like, no, No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't work like that. It can be true that anti-Semites call in bomb threats because they have been for for 50 years. They've been calling in bomb threats. And it can also be true that there are people on the left who are agitators, political agitators, who are calling in bomb threats and probably tipping over gravestones as well. Well, the thing is that, as you pointed out, the first one had cameras. There were 150 super heavy gravestones. It is hard to do that. And there were cameras at the cemetery. And nobody saw it. I mean, it's just not believable and the uh yeah 150 yeah. gravestones and they have cameras right we know this takes is a done, lot of time or a lot of people this is not an emotional reaction that some anti-semite makes because he walks by a, a jewish person you don't go just tip over 150 gravestones in a fit of anger and rage this is a coordinated effort that requires multiple people who are strong and who somehow can go unnoticed by anybody driving or walking by and right. by the cameras and to your point a point that you make often is 
the hype itself increases the the activity. So like PewDiePie, the YouTuber who got demonetized because Wall Street Journal called him an anti-Semite. And he said, I was just daring people to do a prank I knew they would never do. So he was daring people to do a prank like this just because it was so outrageous. Now, I'm not excusing that or anything, and I'm not saying that's where anti-Semitism, you know, actions come from or anything like that. But the when you know there it was like the clown thing when you tell people what to do it, they put on the cover of cnn.com which you identified bomb threats increasing at jewish centers and then lo and behold right after that there's a you know the increase is is doubled again and it's expanded again it's like advertising yeah then you have michael moore the main propagandist who's going on to these networks coming and what he's doing here is he's simplifying the issue and he's he's Ignoring all the evidence that Trump is not an anti-Semite, like his daughter, like the people surrounding him. Oh, that, Trump that is not an anti-Semite. The real risk for close. Trump, yeah. if you want to talk about that, is there's a real – our interests and Israel's interests in foreign policy are not strictly aligned. They are in the middle of the fray in the Middle East, and we are protected by oceans. So we could just protect ourselves and – uh, not get in the fray over there, but that wouldn't be good for Israel. So you, so there's a real conflict about what people want to do over there, what the value of Israel as an ally, and all that kind of stuff. Right. The problem is that if he is in bed with Bibi Netanyahu, the way Netanyahu says he is, then you could have an escalation of military action over there that isn't really good for anyone, not good for us, not good for Israel, but happens to reflect what Netanyahu wants for whatever reason. And that's yeah. always, you know, that's that's a that's a risk. Is that it, whose interest? You know, when they talk about American interests abroad, it's quite often energy companies. Like I think Israel was a big player in the beginning of the kind of breaking up the oil interests in the Middle East during World War One, Turkish Empire, the British Empire. I mean, this stuff goes way back. The nuances over there are are subtle, and I do not opine on that level of it because I. You know, it's hard enough to crack the code on what's going on over here. I am not wading into that at all. But I don't think Trump yeah. is cracking the code either. You know, I don't think he's sitting yeah. there with his history books and maps like I might if I had all the time in the world and figuring it out. So he's going to be influenced by his friends, you know, or the people right. who surround him, his advisors. So when you have Bannon saying he's the most pro-Israel guy in the world and Netanyahu saying the same kind of thing, you you have to seriously think about um, the implications for that as far as military action, spreading the refugee crisis, spreading terrorism for some purpose that's you know not strictly what we're being told. Whereas uh, the anti-Semitism stuff that's being talked about might be just a distraction from that, might get people to kind of look in the other direction and say, oh, thank goodness Trump is incredibly pro-Israel because this is getting out of control. Yeah, and I also think that it's it's definitely a simplification of what's going on, and it's a way to get a segment of the public to believe – they're trying to associate him with Hitler. They're trying to really firm that, that association up in people's minds because if people truly see him as Hitler and react to him the way that they would react to Hitler, then, then they are more likely to – get off the couch and go to a movement, go to a protest, or or take some violent action. I, I think that 
a portion of the population has been conditioned to actually react to Trump as though he were Hitler, and this is a way to reaffirm that in their minds by continuing to make these these anti-Semitic associations. And Michael Moore is all on top of that. The way they do it is they just simplify the issue, and they use an either-or fallacy. They do that with all of the propaganda on all of these networks, but this was just a pretty blatant example of it. Yeah, I, I, that kind of stuff. There, a lot of this stuff is super simplistic. That that Those resist videos that you're sending me from Keith Overman, they're so complicated and ridiculous. He sets out these scenarios, <laughs> yeah. and then he says, so obviously Trump is, a, is an Islamophobe because of this like super complicated story that you can't even follow, not familiar with. And then he just tells you the conclusion to draw because if you were smart enough to follow it like he is, you would know that's what it means. Yeah. Don't ask any questions. <laughs> right. just... And uh, it's just um, it's because it was such force. Yeah, Yeah. it's disappointing that people fall for it. That's the effect that it has on the viewer. The viewer hears all these this long list of examples he might lay out uh, of supporting his conclusion that he starts with. He starts with the conclusion, you know, that he's an anti-Semite, that there's a purge, this is a. Uh, a Muslim ban, and then he then he follows up with these complicated pieces of evidence, which are, are oh, just no one person could even research all of this stuff in any short period of time. So they, they think that well, I I trust this guy, and I'm stupid. They don't want to be stupid, so they just say, okay, yeah, no, I I I, it's, I get it. So yeah, he's definitely an anti-Semite, or uh, this is definitely a purge on Mexicans, or whatever the hell he's talking about in that last video we watched. He's an insane person. It's it's funny to watch them. Yeah, and and they're trying to rile people up the way people were riled up after Obama. So Obama did TARP. I guess Bush did, started it anyway, and then Obama did more of that. But then then we got Obamacare, and that's what really fired up the Tea Party. But they <sighs> they were calling the Tea Party racist. They were saying they're fired up because Obama's black, which was ridiculous. I was there I, I, in Washington with the Tea Party so many times, and there was just absolutely none of that. All they cared about was stopping Obamacare. And what this guy is doing is trying to get people fired up, almost like racists, but as anti-racists, you know, to hate Trump. You know, it, it, he's trying to appeal to what he thinks is what motivates, like, the rank and file. They're, I, I, I'm not making it clear. They're trying to recreate the Tea Party emotion. But the Tea Party emotion yeah. wasn't yeah. just mindless emotionalism. It was trying to stop a specific policy that they correctly recognized was the tipping point for this country from being a free economy to being a government economy. And it will be more than 50 percent kind of whatever controlled upon full implementation of that or whatever replaces it. So so what he's trying to do, like it's just he's trying to get people – to hate. And it's funny because he's catching it in terms of, uh, don't you hate the hater? Right. Hate the hater. Hate the hater. (laughs) Right. You're right. By keeping, by keeping people, you know, filled with hate and fear, they're willing to follow somebody who they don't really know. They don't know the intentions of, or they're willing to join a movement that they, they, the move, they're not really sure. They have no idea what the movement is truly about. They're only following it and joining a movement simply because they, their hate and fear has been stirred up and they want to join this group that they identify with. So this is how these propagandists can get masses of people to do their dirty work for them. While the people have never really investigated who the people are behind it and what their true intentions are. 
because they blindly joined based on emotional hate and rage and fear and, and because they identify with this group and movement and they want to be a part of uh, something that they feel like there's a common cause towards um, you know stopping Trump in this case. I know. I mean, that's the other thing with that video where he said he must be stopped because oh, he's got to go. He must go because this was when he said one of those videos you played for me. He starts out by saying he must go because he is the enemy of democracy. So he is Trump. He's talking about Trump. Trump must go because he's the enemy of democracy. So he can only mean in a coup, right? He's not talking about let's vote him out four years from now, is he? He he thinks that Trump (laughs) is a Russian. Some of his videos, he starts out with, this is a Russian coup. We have been taken over and a Russian agent has been installed. Because Russia, Russia didn't. It was an inside job from what I understand. But let's say Russia leaked Hillary's emails. They're Hillary's yeah. emails. You know what I mean? That's right. not a coup. Yeah. It's not a coup. You know what was a coup? If the CIA did Watergate to get Nixon ousted. Not if Nixon did Watergate and the CIA yeah. outed him. It's if the CIA did Watergate right. and set him up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, And that's, I think, what the real story is. But they, And if there there is plenty of election fraud, you can really dig into the numbers. Why no one is doing that from illegal immigrants to Republican um, uh, affiliated electronic voting companies? You know, there there are plenty, plenty of routes to take to get real evidence. There's plenty of real evidence out there. Black Box is an organization that does a lot of work on that. They, this yeah. Russian hacking thing is a red herring. It's a it's it's a distraction. And so what they're saying is we need a coup because this guy doesn't believe in democracy. But are they really going to prove that that you know what I mean? Did Russia yeah. violate the laws? You know what I'm saying? Like what are they saying? Are they going to invalidate the election? Yeah. Well, because what the hell news? is your definition of democracy? Like they don't their definition. It's just a word they're using to get people to. To, to rile up their emotions. Uh, you don't know what Keith Oberman's definition of democracy is. It's it's probably the same as the definition of communism. Yeah, it would right. have to be laws, election laws that were broken and adjudicated in court and overturned, like with Gore and Bush. I don't I don't know if the right outcome happened, but they adjudicated it. Here's what they would have to prove. They would have to prove that there were a certain amount of people who were on the fence and who received certain information. That was released. That was false. Not that. Not not just that it was Hillary's emails, but that it was false, fake news, and that based on those pieces of information, they were influenced to choose Trump over Hillary. You know how impossible and ridiculous yeah. that is. And you know what? So what? What about your dumb, stupid, hate-filled videos before the election that were full of complete crap? Those yeah. influence people to vote for Hillary right. who might have voted for Trump based on complete crap just because you were working for George Soros and not Vladimir Putin, you know? I mean, they're both foreigners. <laughs> now, I'm sure Soros is an American citizen. Uh, he's, pro- he's probably uh, – he probably has a, an ID for every country he goes to. Could be, Whether it's yes. legitimate or not. 
But yeah. these people have been talking about Soros a lot. They've been openly saying – people think we're funded by George Soros. Come on. Give me a break. <laughs> totally like, are. Yeah, you're totally funded by George Soros. <laughs> we're not stupid. We see the moveon.org or whatever, the open society is paying so-and-so salary or yeah, so-and-so is – that was in a, the journal, which was covering for them. The journal was covering right. for these town hall protesters <laughs> yeah. and, and just slid in there. Uh, you know, yeah, sure, some of it is organized and paid for by moveon.org and their affiliates, but these are – angry people and it's important to recognize that it's like really what whose side do you want and, and here's what people here's what people don't get or there's some people is they'll go oh well he's not directly funding men well george soros is not gonna walk it's not gonna be a live televised event where he gives like a 15 foot long check to an organization <laughs> he says go disrupt america it doesn't work like that it, it it it's shadow organizations it's it's uh it's he he they try to separate the person who is manipulating from the actual organizations doing it. They they try to completely hide it as possible to make yeah. no direct. You do need to connect whatsoever. the dots, and you often can connect the dots. So you can find that this guy, you know, somebody sent me a link. Maybe it was you, where the guy who worked for George Soros was also coaching town hall protesters. You know, it's like you need. Yeah. I think. You have to have a, a name, or you, you just have to have dots that that can connect. I, the IndivisibleGuide.com. It they're congressional staffers. It was very successful, very organized. What I consider to be a, an absolute tell is when something goes viral like that. It's very hard to get something vi really to go viral from a completely unknown grassroots. Obscure, like me and my office trying to get something to go viral, it's not going to happen. So to me, that's a tell. But you still have yeah. that that indivisibleguide.com did not have an about tab. It was like this is just a Google Doc made into a website. It's like really, give me your about tab, give me who you are, give me your membership, give me who wrote this, give me who paid for this. Are you paying for it out of your own pocket? I want to see that. That's what they tried to claim at the beginning. There's no chance, no chance of that. But but a lot of the but like moveon.org has to be on the. It really lacks legitimacy to not show who your funding is from. So they do. So then you just connect the actual people, even whatever congressmen. These are all congressional aides. So who were they working for? You know, what congressmen were they working for? Or are these congressmen who were in Soros's pocket? That there's definitely ways to track it all down, and yes, I think plenty of people yes. have. People are tracking yeah. it down left and right. And I want to I want to talk about the indivisible thing, uh, the indivisible thing, and the, and the women's march people. They've already they've united together, and I don't want to do it just yet. I want to play this other clip real quick, but okay. they are using a communist, uh, a same a technique that was used in communist prison camps to manipulate all these people that that are in these movements, which we'll get so back to in a second. Is, okay, we'll get back to that. Yeah, uh, I want to show. I want to play a quick clip, which. It's it's George Bush. A lot of the news networks, because Trump has uh, come out and attacked the media, a lot of the news networks, CNN, MSNBC, the the networks that he's attacked, they they they've been quoting George Bush. George Bush has become their hero that. over the past week. And, All over the place. Yeah, I want to play the clip for you that CNN recently played in their you know their admiration of George Bush, and I want to uh, I want you to tell me. What what the problem is with CNN's analysis? I want to give you a challenge. Okay. W. Bush is being interviewed right now somewhere else. We won't tell you, so you don't change the show. <laughs> and he said something about going at the press and how dangerous it is. Take a listen. 
I consider the media, media to be indispensable to democracy. Uh, that we need an independent media to hold uh, people like me to account. I mean, power can be very addictive, and it can be uh, corrosive, and uh, it's important for the media to uh, call to account people who abuse their power, whether it be here or elsewhere. Impact of the former president saying this? Yeah, look, th there's nobody that was beat up more, in my estimation, than George W. Bush by the press. He had a shoe thrown at him <laughs> during a press conference in Iraq. Uh, that wasn't by us, by the way. Just, no, no, no. just to keep people's consciences yeah. clear. I don't look. I don't think it's going to have an impact on um, how the Trump administration uh, runs. But I think that he's making a point better than we can make it because people don't trust us and people think we're biased in defending ourselves. Which is, even though the press isn't always fair, even though sometimes we are biased, when we give people in power a hard time, it forces them to make their point more effectively, and it makes it harder for them to misuse their power. And that's our job, and thank you, President Bush. Thank you, President Bush, for speaking up for what he thinks is one of the underpinnings of democracy. You know, p absolute power corrupts, is what basically he was saying. He said it's addictive. And that is what the journalists are supposed to be tasked with, is holding their feet to the fire. And it's just nice to hear it from a former president who, as you say, was on the receiving end of some yeah. bad press. And uh, okay, did you did you catch the problem with their analysis of the clip? Well, I mean, there's a lot of problems, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I, the one thing I, I probably should have been taking notes. The first of all, it's an appeal to authority. So they're like, you can trust him because you don't trust us, and we should listen to that. Um, uh, it reminded yes. me of the Mika Brzezinski clip from. Uh, that was going around last week where she they were criticizing Joe Scarborough was criticizing Trump for trying to completely control what people think. And she said, that's our job. <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the thing with Bush saying that, no, I think I missed what you're getting to. Tell me. He said it twice in this clip and they, they he says it about four times in the full clip. He said independent media cnn is not the independent wow. media cnn is corp has corporate government interest they are not the independent media and they're they and it's not like bush only said it once he says it like four times during this interview independent media independent press that is not what cnn is but they are clumping themselves together and kind of glossing over that just like all the other networks have and just you know oh we're the we're, he must be talking about us he must be talking about us but what do you think independent media really is, like the free press and the First Amendment? The definition of the independent media that, you're, that you find online is media that does not have corporate or government interest. And that's not seen it. – it's, it's the it's – the it's like you know, maybe yeah, – because what else could it mean? What else could he mean by it? There is no government media, right? Right. There's no government media, but there is – well, you know, not You know what I'm saying? What but, else could he mean by – why would he say independent media unless he means something other than the media? You know, he's defining it. He's meaning – it must mean something. Independent media is generally thought of as alternative media. That's what that's what you find online when you research that term. Yeah. And it would be grassroots type media. It would be media online. It would be fake news as CNN initially called it. 
It would be all the organizations that yeah. uh, CNN and Washington Post initially classified as fake news. That is what is generally thought of as independent There media. used to be a newspaper in England, maybe it's still there, in London, called The Independent, and its tagline was – we are, are you question mark? And I think, <laughs> I think yeah, it was cute. I think their, their point was that they weren't affiliated with a party. They weren't right or left. Like supposedly the wall street journal and New York times, you know, like I, he could totally be distinguishing it from partisan media. And again, that also Perhaps. serves your point, which is CNN is not obviously it's partisan. Yeah. <laughs> Trump called it the Clinton news network. Like, in a press conference? Like, did he call on them? It's like Clinton News Network or <laughs> something crazy <laughs> like that. It was in some really public environment. Uh, well, they're all public environments now. But, yes, yeah, so no matter how you slice it, whether it's government-affiliated like Al Jazeera. Isn't Al Jazeera now government-affiliated? I don't – oh, no, it's Probably. a different – not Al Jazeera. There's another one. They they When they did that Smith, Smith Munt – uh, amendment where the government now ha- is allowed to produce propaganda and direct it at domestic audiences. There is like an Arab language uh, medium, media, whatever media outlet that is actually run by the government. The State Department does actually have that stuff now. So it could it could not only mean not with the government, not with a party, but right, nothing. This doesn't qualify. Yeah. I would encourage anybody to watch that George Bush interview because it's it's just he says America. My, uh, one thing about America, he says America like five times. And oh, people make fun of that. Yeah, he tells you why he's there, which I I, I pulled this clip just because I think it's funny. I think it's funny why he's there, and I think it's funny why, oh, why he's yes. out and about again doing interviews. Yes, I know and just the way yes. he said it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's why I'm here. I'm I'm selling this book. I'm selling this book. <laughs> Which is crazy because the people are so rich. Look, they're not selling books to make the money. They're selling books to create the story. Do you know what his book – you're right. Do you know what his book is? is? No, no, no idea. Do you remember that a series of very, very strange paintings were released by him years ago? No, he didn't release it. What that was was Guccifer – the hacker who outed oh, yeah. Hillary's private server in the same original cache of emails was this e- these emails from the Bush family that had like his own self-portrait, him getting wanting Bill Clinton, who he called Bubba, to do maybe do the eulogy at his father's funeral. It was a crazy bunch of emails. It was I'm yeah, still Bubba puzzling over what it meant. Yeah, well, he wrote a book. Well, I didn't write a book. It, his book is a bunch of his paintings of he painted no uh, painted regular people who are soldiers like go fight for like he he painted a bunch of just regular people who he says fought for the greater good and he makes a couple of references to global government that are subtle in that interview but that's his book his book is it's a book of paintings and i don't know if if you've seen these paintings the, his past paintings the or his new ones. paintings they did not seem professional it's it's like uh it's like the finger paintings of a raccoon. It's horrible <laughs> these paintings. Is it he didn't get much better? No, he's terrible. He might as well, it looks like somebody went around stealing the uh, paintings off of refrigerators across America and compiled them into a book. They, and I'm a terrible <laughs> I'm terrible at drawing. I'm so bad at drawing. Right. It makes me want to gather up all of my old paintings and, you know, form them into a book <laughs> because it's so bad. And people are going to buy this piece of shit too. It's terrible, but you're right. It's for the story that it's telling. I think I kind of like his Putin. I'm looking at his Putin right now. 
Uh, it's, oh, his Putin image? Yeah. He probably doesn't mean it to look like, uh, you know, who, who, like Dolly. <laughs> you know, like he probably doesn't mean it to look <laughs> totally surreal, but it really does. Yeah. Freaky. Oh, they all look surreal. I mean, it's like he dropped yeah. acid and yeah, yeah, it looks really weird. But I doubt he mean, he probably means it's look real. I can't believe he got Putin to hold still for so long while he painted it. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Oh my gosh, how about his feet in the bathtub? You see that? His feet in the bathtub? That one's, yeah, that one's so creepy. Oh, nobody wants to say, I wouldn't. What the We're heck? assuming those are his feet. <laughs> Oh, you know, to show Saddam Hussein as a clown. Uh, oh, I, I didn't see that one. Maybe, maybe this is not real, but um, I think when you start talking about these guys that like people died fighting as clowns, I think it's disrespectful yeah. to the people who died. I do not like that. Yeah, I agree. He, he so, Hannity interviews or Hannity also interviews. He, he's doing the book tour, man. I admire that he's doing what he wants to do. It's a passion of his, but it's so creepy <laughs> at the same time because he's. It definitely seems a little bit um, sanatorium. <laughs> you know, what sanatorium, you do in the sanatorium, you like where oh, you right, yes, where people yes, used to go to yes, convalesce. Exactly. You know, where you have a nervous yes. breakdown, you have tuberculosis. You know, they, yes. you go out totally to the pastor and you paint. <laughs> Right, yeah, it has no, you nailed it. <laughs> feeling, which he has every right to do. I'm not sure I understand how it's folding back on us and giving him a platform to opine on Trump in the context of these kind of kooky paintings. I'm not sure right. I understand. Like, is that how I, far down know. our discourse has gone that you have the guy <laughs> who, you know, that SNL skit where he says, where Will Ferrell, as George W. Bush says, strategery. I mean, that was how we thought of right. him. And now he's like the elder statesman who's uh, you kind of who's who has this wisdom. It was kind of like when Ronald Reagan died. I remember being outraged that all these people, all these newsmen, you know, who are almost all on the left, were all like respectful and everything. It's like, really, you guys, the book you touted of him was sleepwalking through history. <laughs> they, you know, they used to just make fun of how stupid he was, and he was totally not stupid. <laughs> Ronald Reagan was—he wrote his yeah. own speeches in longhand. There, I have a book oh, wow. of his speeches written in his own hand. Now that's a book. Wow, that—that's <laughs> awesome. Yes, and somebody threw something at his head too. I think the Bush, the W thing, was a copycat. Oh yeah, a copy yeah, toss. Reagan was the first one who had something thrown at his head. So. Can you can you imagine being one of the a family member of somebody that Bush decided to honor with a, a painting and he presents the painting and you're just kind of like, <laughs> you're like uh, and it's huge. Thank you. It's like yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> like five by three. It has to go like right in your entry. <laughs> it just wiggle this wiggle this in your front door here. Okay. <laughs> And he expects to see it. I'll be back next week. Yeah, come back, check my shirts up. <laughs> see where you put it. I really, really curious to see where you're gonna put it. My my friend does this great. Uh, an actor friend of mine. We used to do a lot of improv together, and he he would do this George Bush impersonation in shows a lot, and he would also do this um, Jodie Foster impersonation. 
his Jodie Foster impersonation was exactly like his George Bush impersonation. <laughs> it got to be a thing in our shows where, where he came out where he was like a president Jodie Foster or you know, stuff like that, and he would go back and forth. It was – it's pretty hilarious that his interpretation of Jodie Foster and George yeah. Bush was the exact same. I'll have to look at each of them in the same, you know, now thinking, are they overlapping? Right. Yeah, yeah. Who, uh, the uh, person who assassinated or tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan did for Jodie Foster. That's what they say. But that guy was the brother of a good friend of the vice president, George H.W. Bush, or the son do you know that right. little story? And now he's out of jail. lines together. Can you yeah. imagine an assassin, a presidential attempted assassin getting out of jail? I think he's in the custody of his mom. And Jodie Foster, I mean, too. I would be terrified. Story. So I question the Jodie Foster connection. I believe yeah. that he wrote her creepy letters, but I think he did it for some, <laughs> you know, for his MP right. Ultra handler. Maybe George Bush has a painting of Jodie Foster that can go with those creepy letters. Um, oh, yeah, we were talking about the the marches and the movements that are going on. Uh, Indivisible and the Women's March, they have joined forces. They're now on uh, a website together. They still have their individual websites, but they're using a propaganda technique that the communist Chinese used on American prisoners of war during the Korean War to get these uh, the prisoners to, on their own volition, go back to America and propagate communism. There was a Father Brown episode about that, and I didn't understand. I did not know. I like Father, Father Brown. Brown. <laughs> I like Father Brown. Who's Father Brown? It's a it's a BBC what they call a cozy which is a murder mystery series that takes place in like a little hamlet, a little town. So Father Brown is oh, a cozy, like, but it's based right. on G.K. Chesterton's G.K. Chesterton's character, Father Brown. Of course, it's full of racy stuff. I literally cannot watch it with my kids. So I don't think G.K. Chesterton would be proud. But there was an episode, but it's a good show. I like it. But there was an episode about that, and I didn't realize that it was a propaganda thing. The, the kid in the episode was, of course, you know, the hero, the protagonist of the episode, was the guy who came back from the Korean War as a communist, anti-imperialist, basically traitor, thought traitor. So that's very interesting. I didn't know it was a it was an actual. And did you? How do you? Did you read about this in passing, or did you? Is there a book about? No, it? I, I've I've studied that, and I started looking at the actions that they were doing, and I went back to look at some of the examples that they that they used that they um you know they did during uh, uh to the prisoners of war, and I started looking. I was like, this is the same thing. It's okay, so uh, what, I mean, it's, so it's what a, is it? It's like a compliance technique that salespeople try to sell people stuff and get them to buy stuff out of fear and stuff like that too. So it's not just using communist um, prison camps, but it's obviously – it's getting people to join these movements without thinking, without actually considering who they're helping to give power to. And what what they do is they – they appeal to fear like we talked about earlier. They get people scared, and then they show people a group of people whom they identify with, although it's very vague how they get people to identify because if they're too specific, they'll exclude certain people. So they need it to be vague enough to where everybody, even people who have conflicting interests, will join the movement. So they don't ever stop to think, wait a minute, if we get what we want, we're going to be in conflict. 
You know, who's going to – whose needs get taken care of then? But so they, they use fear, the fear of Trump, uh, anti-Semitism, Russia, whatever it is, um, racism. They use all these various fears to get these various groups under one roof together, so to speak. And while their fear is riled up, they show this common group they can be part of, and they go join it. And then when they get people to the movement based on fear and the desire to be part of this group, this common cause – that's when they put the celebrities on stage. They put the celebrities on stage who will agitate the fears, like Michael Moore, like uh, you Ashley know, Judd. Uh, what's her name? Pink. That was insane. Ashley Judd. Pink pussy hat. <laughs> exactly. So they agitate the fears, and then while they're there, they they send the community organizers around, and the community organizers they get signatures. They get people to either with you know you know with a pen or either online. They get them to sign a. Um, not a protest, but uh, I don't know. My mind went blank. What's it called? A petition. They yeah. get them to sign a petition. Now, the reason they get them to do this is a couple of reasons. One is obviously they're collecting email information so they can contact them later. But the act of getting them to sign something on their own volition when they're they're filled with fear and rage so they feel like they have to do it, it yeah. creates this – this internal – like this psychological commitment to this movement. Yeah, And this is what they use – Right. So they, they have decided that they're going to be the type of person who is taking this political action to resist what they believe to be one of their greatest fears, and they're doing it with all these people who are like-minded. So it, it changes their self-image simply by – like one, one of the reasons that they get signatures when they do this is, is because of that, is because it, it creates that psychological commitment. So then with that commitment made – they send them home and they send them emails and they contact them and they give them easy to accomplish activities, action points. They've been sending me these action points to these emails I'm signed up signed up with um, every day almost. And the action points are very simple and even not even harmless in the beginning. But he- here's where they get you: it's simple, simple, slightly, slightly more involved, slightly more involved, slightly more involved to the point of. The person has transformed their like self-identity by c- continuing to do these actions that they automatically just do whatever activity they're sent, and they've increased the scale of these these actions that they're telling people to take. Like they started off with, you know, here, write, send a letter to your oh, congressperson. That's tournament theory, I think. Is, is what is it? Tournament tournament theory, where you get. Um, people increasingly committed. So in a tournament, you really don't have to give any prizes out. You can get a lot of people to show up to your event and don't pay them anything until the very top. And as you get increasingly committed, you, you get closer to that prize. So you can do more and still not like get paid anything because you've already invested so much and the prize is there. But one of the things I noticed about this indivisibleguide.com was that they said this is not about a policy. Do not get attached to any specific policy, which is what has to be true because the policies, this guy does not want to make smaller government. He does not want to cut anything. I don't hear him talking about cutting anything. He It seems to me all he's doing is increasing debt, for the bankers, doesn't talk about ending the surveillance state. And by the way, these protesters, the ones who are getting arrested, are supposedly being investigated by the cops uh, on their Facebook and their social media. But I'll tell you, the cameras, cop cameras, especially if you're talking about Washington, D.C., if they have police cameras, there's no reason to think they're not going to use that for facial recognition and they can catalog you. They can, the governments can then 
that can be a data point for you, or they can start a file on you just based purely on your right. showing up to these events, but they right. don't talk about the policy issues. I've absolutely noticed that it's intentional. And my oh, guess they, is they, they don't. Yes. Yes. They have to no keep the policy reason. issues out of it because if they bring the policy issues in, it'll start excluding people. So it has to be vague enough to keep everybody under one roof to mobilize. This is how they get people to fight in wars without actually ever telling them the specifics of the war because people won't join these groups if they know what these people are really about and what their true intentions are. And what you said a second ago is they, they've done studies on this. It, it, they've, they've been able to get people to start with nothing but a signature and then agree to – like put billboards in their yard that aren't even associated oh. with what the initial signature is. So they can get them to do actions yeah. that are so far removed from the initial one and not even associated simply by getting them to create that cons- that commitment right. and that internal consistency. That reminds me of Look. the paperclip challenge where the guy on eBay said he could turn a paperclip into a house by trading up every single trade. And he did. Yeah. Now, he told people that's what he was doing. So along the way, you know, it was not a valid experiment at all. But it's this idea that you start with absolutely nothing and you can build it into something yes, really valuable. Yes. But I have to say something. When I saw what they were talking about, the only policies they – first of all, the focus of IndivisibleGuy.com was he's a totalitarian, authoritarian racist, right. I think. So yeah. it's completely yeah. about Donald Trump's identity as they describe it. But the only two actual policy or actual points that they make is fight Obamacare repeal and uh, investigate Russian election influence. But in the Russian election thing, I just – they can make stuff up if they want to or maybe it really happened. I don't think that's the point. But the the Obamacare thing is really confusing to me because it's totally regressive, not progressive in that – Older people have more money than younger people, and they have more health problems. So they're the ones who um, pre-existing conditions or whatever, they're the ones who are beneficiaries of insurance. Young people don't need it, and they don't get it, and now they're forced to buy it to subsidize these older people who have more money. So how they're getting young people out, are they? I mean, they are. Yeah. And And the only policy issue is this Obamacare thing, which hurts the very people who are out protesting from what i can tell yeah but they don't see it that way they see it they see they're they see trump as taking away something that their progressive hero obama put into place they don't see the right again the it's identity it's like it. that oberman stuff exactly. is all about it's a muslim ban it's hispanic it, it, exclusion it's like okay shut up you know like what are you saying you want to coup because <laughs> yeah. I, of this you know, person I don't know whose story I'm not even sure is true about something that happened on some airplane somewhere. You know, like so it shows a picture of a little baby and he says she can't have her heart surgery because Trump's a racist. It's like, what? Yeah, that's like, a, that's like a stock photo. <laughs> right. It still has still has the water water stamp on it. I, I actually thought he said a four year old and then the picture was like a four month old. I'm not completely sure it isn't. Like that isn't what happened. Yeah, but I like, just was looking Zika. at Zika. Look at how the baby's a freak. It's Zika. <laughs> and so that Zika thing, I identified like uh, almost all the babies was the same baby named Daniel. Anyway, don't get me started <laughs> on Zika. It's true. Do not get me started on Zika. Brazil has yeah. a fraction of the microencephaly that the United States has, a fraction of it by population relative. So 
You know what I'm saying? Brazil and Zika and microcephaly was the big thing. And we need to have abortions and get a vaccine for Zika because look what's happening in Brazil. But Brazil actually has a comparatively low rate of microcephaly. But we have a, a, a yeah. comparatively high rate. And some people think that environmental pollutants cause microcephaly. And lo and behold, we have a lot more of that. And you could actually fix that without selling a vaccine. But I said, don't get me started on Zika. <laughs> I, you I didn't. You got yourself right. <laughs> I'm kidding. Obviously, <laughs> you didn't. Okay, go ahead. Let me. Uh, I want to tell you some of the the actions they have to, to show you where they progress. Because one of these recent actions they've asked people to do, it, it's it's getting to the point where. It could, I mean it's going to get dangerous for people. It's these elites who are putting people in harm's way to do their own dirty work to further what's essentially global communism or, or g- g- communism, fascism, whatever. It, it's centralizing power and money into the hands of the elites, and that's what these movements are about. They're not about any of the, the, the ideals that they're getting people to, to come to these movements for, and they're, they're increasing the scale of these actions they're asking people to take. So it started with send a postcard, you know? And they gave them the postcard, and they included the script, and they said all you had to do – basically all you had to do was fill out your name and fill out why you march. And then if you didn't know why you march, they said click on this link, watch this video, see why these other women march, and then pick one. So no effort <laughs> at all. And it, it strengthens that it strengthens that psychological commitment to it. Once the psychological commitment gets so strong, to not take the action given creates cognitive dissonance. They have to take the action to maintain that new self-image, and if they don't, they feel uncomfortable. And that's that's the goal here by increasing the scale of these actions they ask people to take. So after that, it was call your senator, you know. And in the indivisible guide, they have. Uh, or call your congressman. They they give you a a script verbatim, which is hilarious. It's it's it's. I encourage everybody to read through the script in the indivisible guide that they tell people to. It, it's it's like a belligerent person who just can do, resist, 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 and, and finding finding um, conflict in nothing is essentially what the script is for. And it can't really be effective because I'll tell you when I have callers on the air. Right. And you can occasionally, if there's a really big story, and uh, I've noticed that if I come out with just an objective viewpoint, I get pummeled with guys who seem to have the same talking points all in a row. They get louder. They're rude. You know what I mean? I've actually said at one point, it's like, I'm reading the document you're talking about, and it doesn't say that. It says this. Oh, honey, get, get a new hobby. You're, you're smoking crap. Like I'm reading it to you on the air. So you can tell that they're, that they're coached. And so I'm just saying when you call your congressman, they read that they're, they listen to that. They are, I do not think that they are thinking that that's a sincerely concerned constituent expressing their own genuine feelings. I'm not saying they're not afraid of the movement, but. Yeah, yeah. It's, they, they, the script is for the staffers because they know they're not going to get through the congressman when they're flooding. Right. By the way, right. I forgot to pull this clip. Michael Moore makes a comment in that same interview where he says, we got people doing this. We got people doing – and this is part of the bandwagon technique. Get people jump on the bandwagon by making making people think that everybody in the group you identify with is doing it. People are doing that. Oh, Millions are doing this. Point. We got people at the switchboard. Do, and, I'm, and it was very like – Fast, but I'm like the switchboard. So you have a call center where people are bombarding oh. members of Congress. That that's what I I read out wow. of that. What's the switchboard for? That tells me that there's some 
I think that I think he let that slip. I'll, I'll pull the clip and put it in the show notes. Yeah, but I can't think of what else a switchboard would be for, other than getting people in one room to bombard people. I've seen pictures, and then you see the panned out picture, and you see like the picture they have on the media that looks like it's a billion people there. And you pan it out, and it's, yeah. it's it stopped exactly where the frame stopped of the first picture. You see that a lot. Yes. Like they go out of their yeah, way yeah, to yeah. make it look like everybody's right. doing it. Really small room. Make it look like a really small room. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Tiny tables, so you look huge. Yeah. If I want to be a giant, I'll get my photo taken at the yeah. uh, the Chick-fil-A Dwarf store. He has a tiny desk, so he looks huge. <laughs> yes. He has tiny desk. Yeah. And he doesn't do Conway that. Conway is like four foot two. Oh, we have to talk about that. I will say, I was that was – I did not – I was totally just kidding because you even pointed out in the debates how – he was hunched over for Hillary, but you know who was hunched over for him was Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush deliberately hunched over because he was taller than Trump. Yeah. And then Trump seemed totally like passive, submit. you know, what you were saying, he was like looking submissive, so he didn't look like he was towering over Hillary. So I don't think he plays yeah. that particular game. But that Kellyanne Conway picture, uh, either it was a complete setup just to to – there's some there's some psychological thing going on that I am not recognizing, or she's displaying infantile uh, attention-seeking behavior. Do people know what that picture is? Can you describe the picture? The one, yeah, we can put it. She's she's sitting on a couch like a drunk sorority girl who's about to just you know go crazy at a party. That's what I took out of it. She's in a skirt above her knees and she's sitting like you're kneel, you know, like you were kneeling in an exercise class or kneeling in church. Her legs are bent up under her hamstrings. Yeah, and yeah. her butt is on her ankles. And you can, if you were at the right angle, you could see up her skirt. And I just don't. Right. Her legs are slightly open. And I don't want to be vulgar, but maybe, maybe like yes, you, you said, do. outside the frame, we don't know what people were looking at. Well, I know, I don't know anyone who would sit. I wouldn't sit she like that on my up. own couch. I really, truly would not yeah. sit like that on my own couch, even if I wasn't wearing a, wearing a skirt. So to me, it, it was so weird. It was either meant to cause a ruckus for some other purpose or meant to cause a ruckus because she's uh, psychologically, you know, pathological in her pursuit of attention. I mean, that's just the weird thing. And the whole, it was the whole black caucus, right? Who was behind her? It was some black history month thing and everyone was dignified in suits and it, and it, they looked like they had been gathering around for a photo op. So it was just very yeah, yeah. strange. And I don't think anybody presented it in a way that uh, gave any real insight into what that could possibly be signifying. It, it it's also points out how irrational it is for us to continue thinking that these presidents and government officials – Act with total respect or whatever the, their idea of respect is when they're in this office. Like they don't sit on the couch. Like they always just treat the desk and the couch and, and the flag in the office just with total respect. Well, no, I they think don't. we all know they that Bill Clinton didn't. Did you ever hear about the uh, Yasser Arafat phone call? No. Uh, apparently Monica Lewinsky was in the room with him when he was talking to some – I thought it was Yasser Arafat, somebody on the phone. It was highly disrespectful. <laughs> So uh, I I, I think we did away with that delusion. But well, it, he couldn't have it. He was busy. I don't know. I don't want to get into it, but it'd be too graphic. Uh, right. But um, it's, in, it's in the congressional record. 
Oh, wow. I'll have to check that out. Sure. Let me give you the rest of these actions that they took. Um, okay, so after the postcard, then there was the call, and they give you the script for both, so you don't have to actually put any mental effort. Easy for you to build that psychological commitment to the movement. Then it's then it's huddle huddle with people near you you know we we march now we got to huddle together we got to find like-minded people and start a group here's how you start a group and they essentially the indivisible guide tells them how to propagate people into coming and joining the group they tell you to appeal to the most the, the, the thing – the pain that people are feeling the most and minorities uh, um, like they cover the range of them in the indivisible guide and so that's how they create these little cells but, but what, all over what, the country. So they, it's a secret group. So the chick who called on my show, was that episode 29 of the Propaganda Report, the WSB show from last yes, week? Yes, yes. Or is that 28? Yes. It was just recent show where the chick called and said she was protesting. She was a uh, first-time Democrat voter, something like that. And she said, I'm wrong. It's not AstroTurf. It's not fake, whatever. It's not, you know, being orchestrated. We do have a secret Facebook group. And uh, I didn't even catch it, but somebody emailed me saying that. Why, yeah. why would it be a secret group? You know what I'm saying? They're just they're, – they're obviously plotting things. Why not do the Tea Party? It wasn't a secret group. You could go to any Tea Party. You can join these, these Facebook groups and stuff, but the problem is it – you know, it'll be like attached to your Facebook profile or something. They're, they can, <laughs> that would be they can look and see who you are. But do they tell them to make it secret? Not in anything that I've seen. Huddle. Yeah. That indicates a kind yeah. of secret. It, it does. It, it indicates a kind of cloak and dagger type thing. But it's out there, though. It, it's it's right. Okay. I, I find it simply because I'm looking for it. Like right. anybody who's it, they're not targeting me. They're not targeating you. So they're right. easily finding. But the people she that, said it was secret, and that's. That's what I'm interested in. I wonder – I wish I had pressed her for it. I wonder if she meant that it's like one of those um, – it's a closed Facebook group. I don't know. I've never heard anyone call it secret. Right. It would be interesting to attend one of those meetings. Okay, so huddle in in the locale, and then, then it's engage your member of Congress personally. This is, these are the um, the town hall protests. They, they encourage them to go to the town hall meetings. They encourage them to go face-to-face, and they tell them what to do. They give them talking points. They give them facts, and they tell them how to do it. So they're instructing them every step of the way, but suddenly when you're engaging members of Congress in a confrontational style in these town halls, <laughs> this is up the ante. This is putting yourself in potential in an environment that could – Increase to violence. And so it's not the people who are organizing that are putting themselves in danger. It's the people they're manipulating who, on the behalf of the organizers, are putting themselves in danger. And then they, there's a bunch of other tactics of like, you know, go, go sit in, get a bunch of people, ambush your congressman's office, and start a town hall meeting in their office, force it on them, stuff like that. And that's really confrontational. But the one that really stuck out to me was one of the most recent ones. They only release the actions every week, and one of the most uh, uh, recent actions is that they're encouraging people to divest all of their money. Here are like 20 or 30 banks. Go to these banks and divest all of your money from these banks. Yes, and I'm like that is – I mean we're we're starting to mess with people's finances now. Divest (laughs) – what if they have um, their 401k? their CDs. What if it's a big penalty? Right. These people are going to go do that, and this is – That's really a shame because it's not going to make any difference to the bank. Yes. What does this have to do with the movement? It has nothing to do with the movement. I want to have a sit-in and 
end the surveillance state. We can all agree with that, can't we? Let's have a sit-in and end the surveillance state. Trump never talks about ending the surveillance state. He's he's not. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a policy we could all get behind, but they won't help us focus on things that they could point out real problems, real problems, the greatest defense increase in history. Why? You know what I mean? Why? We're not even at war. You would think it would be a war increase would be impossible to beat. Right. And this last one, the one about divesting money from the banks, it tells people that these are the banks that are not paying women equal pay. And I guarantee Uh you that it, 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 like almost yeah. every bank, like it's so the appeal stupid. is to that. But the the reason for this, this is a communist thing. This is death to capitalism. These are big banks. So the communist thing is very loaded. It's it is bigger than you know communism, fascism, like the twenty twentieth century dialectic, where you know right. but it's it and and those are the methods. But the idea that these people are ideologues who want like George Soros wants oh, to yes. end government so that the you know the means of production cascade down to distribute equally among all the peoples of the earth is not no really, no no, you know, that's yeah, not the no goal. it's a tool yeah that's not the goal of the people at the top right. but it is a way to manipulate the their underlings the people who are ideologues yeah maybe like satanism and stuff is used you know in a different way for symbology and everything to get people scared and or believe in something I don't know if they're Satanists, but they certainly use occult symbols right. and rituals. They can use it, yeah. I'm not saying these people do. I'm just saying there are other examples. My friend who is around a bunch of people who are part of these movements, he told them some of the stuff we're talking about that I told him, and the response he got was, oh, that's great. The communists are supporting women's <laughs> rights. That's awesome. And I'm like, oh. no. No, they're they're manipulating you. Yeah, see, that's the thing. It's not communists. It's com. It's tactics developed during the communist. You know, on the communist when communism was one half of the dialectic. That's the thing. When you call them communists, it sounds like equality based ideology, and it's not that. It's simply tactics that were used then when they said. Communism is so good that you can be bad to get it. The ends justify the means. Right. It's a communist thing, and the, these are the means. But I don't think their ends are the same as they, as they were purported to be in the past as communists. Well, you're right. The, the people who are using communism, their ends aren't the same, but they're, they are using the communist ideology under a different name. One of the things that communists do is, is called oh. partial incorporation, and it, it's they incorporate the symbols and slogans of movements – so that because they can't say, hey, come join a communist movement because people won't yes, do it. Yes, so they yes, incorporate course, women's yeah. rights, mm-hmm. incorporate equality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but they are promoting this idea of, of separation from the family, of separation from um, of separation from your property. They're they're, they're getting people to believe oh, the, in, in this ideology oh. because that makes yeah. it easier for the globalists to to control everybody. If everybody doesn't want capital, if everybody hates capitalism, right. everybody hates uh, their family and their nation, then they can take all the power, they can take all the capital, and they can create a global government. Yeah, I mean they were definitely telling people – the communist thing was, was definitely about – I think. I mean Karl Marx was financed, financed by capitalists, if I recall correctly, and he right. – the idea is you, nobody owns anything, but somebody's always going to yeah, own exactly. something. You know, somebody's going to own it. 
the way for the people controlling people, if they can get everybody to buy into communism, then they just get everybody's shit and everybody's okay with it. That's one of the reasons I hate the basic income theory where people on the right are even saying, well, it's better than welfare and all these bureaucracies and blah, 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 because what it really does is you give all your money to the state and then the state gives it all back, supposedly, and that it's like you know, yes. a zero loss right. kind of thing. However – you have relinquished your rights, your own property, and you have to ask for yeah. it back or wait to get it back. And they're like, well, it'll be foolproof. You know, it's like, mm, I don't know. The withholding tax, we yeah. can't have a tax revolt because we allowed, we actually agreed to back in the day, withholding tax so that your employer who has a lot to lose, you know, the employer's not going to fall on his sword and go down uh, against the government and you can't not pay your taxes unless you just don't work. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's a little bit. So, but I was interesting to me that you said the, that they're getting people to disconnect from their own property. That's interesting. Yeah. If they can get people to buy in that the, the, the communist idea, which essentially the progressive ideals are, are, they're similar. They're not, I mean, progressivism, just like, just like every ideology is, has been used to to manipulate people by by people at the top. That's not to say that there's not value in it, or, or that people who are involved don't believe it. But progressivism is very it is a fine line between those ideals and some of the communist ideals. And if they can get people to be so afraid of the of capitalism, of of national identity, of, of everything that Trump is being painted as representing, then then they can totally buy into this. Yeah. Equality for all. We separate from this because they have our best interest in mind. We'll hand the keys of everything for everything over to them, over to George Soros and his claim. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing is that it's such a scam. You know, I mean you right. got to know yeah, what the, those guys want. That's what they're like. Why are you trying to? Uh, who cares? So what? So what? It's top down and not bottom up. But you right. don't know what they want. What does George Soros want? It's probably right. not, and, not yeah. for you to be happy. He doesn't care if you're happy. He says stuff like that. I don't care about people. He says stuff like that. I think you just summed up like one of the main points of, of what I was getting at it is like that's that's what they've gotten people to join out of fear and to jump on the bandwagon of this movement. And they're now doing actions. It's transforming kind of their 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 views of themselves, and they're blindly following these people who they know nothing about. They haven't critically investigated the movement. They haven't critically investigated the people behind it. They haven't analyzed whether the people actually are going to put in to place policies. If they stop, if they resist Trump, what next? If they're going to help them get what they want or need, they they have no idea. It's purely an emotional reaction. And now they're caught up in the fervor of it, and because they're making psychological commitments, they're stuck in it. Yeah. And who who, who knows what the next action is going to be? And the first step, you know, was to get people to not be good at critical analysis. Right. Yeah. To circumvent that, you know. Yeah. The dumbing down of America is for was ex going on for decades, and it was for this exact purpose, so they could be easily right. led. This is right. This is a process of radicalization. Oh, yes. That's funny. Yeah. Wow. So when I'm worried about domestic terrorism getting us in jail, so first they start with radical Islam, then they talk about sovereign citizens. I didn't even think these guys are, you know, I keep waiting for the pendulum to swing back, but these guys might be 
the, they are taking down names at, when these people are getting arrested. I'm sure this facial recognition, these guys could be the terrorists who are, you know, when the civil libertarians on the left gave up their high road so that Obama could be the surveillance president, you know, they'll probably get back on their high horse now, but they will suffer for it if this continues in this direction. Is it Bill Ayers, one of Obama, one of Obama's like uh, yeah. idols or mentors or something? That, and didn't he bomb federal buildings? Yes, mm-hmm. but they were CIA agents. Those guys were deep state. They were agents provocateur. Right. Yeah, and and that's what these people are who are behind these moves. That's what these community organizers are. All yeah. the people who are behind the, who are the 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 field agents of, of these movements, they're all community organizers, like Saul Alinsky oh. type community organizers. Yes. Who was that guy? Black guy in the uh, who talks about it on YouTube. I have to find it and put it in the show notes. He was an agent provocateur. Was it in the civil rights movement? He talked about how. The um, government was the one who militarized the Black Panthers, who uh, brought the guns in. There's a real interesting story back there. I'll put it up in the show notes. I know you wanted to keep this. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's interesting. I'll put it up. I do. I can't remember. But Angela Davis, former leader of the Black Panthers, is one of the honorary co-chairs of the women's group, the Women's March and Women's Protest Group. It's just funny you say that about the Black Panthers and the, the violence. Uh, she she was uh she she was in a big controversy like back in the '60s or the '70s where a gun that was purchased in her name ended up killing somebody um, after there was a protest at a trial oh. and she somehow got off. I can't I don't can't remember the exact details, but she's a very controversial figure and oh. she's been a communist her entire life. Or an operative like Gloria Steinem has admitted to having worked for the CIA. You can really right. follow. Yeah. People don't care that much anymore, but I was reading some books about the rock movement and uh, really interesting, but weird scenes inside the Canyon was one of them. And he really very, he's dead, but he, at that, he was really a great documenter of these things talking about all the military intelligence who? stuff in that. Uh, who wrote Ray McGowan? I don't know. I'll look it up real quick, but he wrote about the deep state, about the deep state connections of the, of the counterculture movement. And some of the student protests were, um, uh, were, he connected the dot, like actually had evidence of them having affiliations with the CIA. So his name was David McGowan, David McGowan. And uh, gives credit to Nick Bryant yeah. also. It's, it's such a a history of manipulation from the CIA, and everybody forgets it when the CIA claims something that that you know you want to believe. It's oh well, the CIA says that Putin and, and Trump share <laughs> yeah. a bunk bed together. It's yeah, well, the CIA said it. And people say they don't trust the media, but they absolutely trust the media. When I try to tell them I think something's a psyop, they argue with me. And I'm like, how do you know? Like, well, I heard it on CNN. I'm like, okay, or Fox said, okay, how do you know it's true? Well, well, if you can't believe the news, you can't believe anything. I'm like, right. <laughs> you can't believe it. You can't believe it. You believe <laughs> yeah. in Trump. Why? Why? Why do you believe in Trump? Because the glowing box in your living room, you know, says stuff that makes you. You know, that's where it's all coming from. You know, yeah. you think you don't trust it, but you do. Even if you don't, you know, even if it's manipulative, you really, you if you really didn't trust it, you'd 
put a hammer through it. <laughs> Which I encourage. I saw a video of somebody do that when Georgia lost to Georgia Tech recently. Oh. Well, last over in November. I'm a Tech fan. It never happens. Yeah. And guy, I was like, man, that's a, that's, that's a nice TV. What about the guy who got Brady's face tattooed on him? And I'm thinking, you think Brady would tattoo someone's face on him? <laughs> you know? I'm sure Brady, Brady gets uh, – maybe Brady has Trump's face tattooed. <laughs> maybe he has his own face. <laughs> Can you have that guy's wife? Can you imagine like being married to that guy and you see Brady's face every time you see this guy? Maybe it's a good thing for her. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what else you got? Is that uh, are we? Uh, that's all I got. Is that this week in I'm the good. news? That's all I got. Yeah. That's not even this week in the news. That's like the last twelve hours in the news. Right. Yeah. It's such a, <laughs> a small percentage. Uh, information overload. All right. So that yeah. is episode thirty of the Propaganda Report, and more episode to 30. come. We're we're getting deeper and deeper into the WSB show which should now come out regularly after basketball is over three hours a week which is an hour and a half on the podcast that they very graciously let us put up on propaganda report commercial free which i like and and what you should tell people how what they can do to help reiterate that and i would also reiterate that if you like an episode even if you shared episodes before reshare it and uh we we do experience exponential growth which is fun and uh it's good. We make connections like that Rogue Money guys. I did an interview with Rogue Money, and the more exposure we get, the more you can uh, – the more exposure you get. <laughs> the more exposure you get, yeah, yeah. the more you communicate with these people who help us find like-minded people. So maybe we can right. conquer all, after all. So what? So what should people do? Uh, I'm creating a Patreon, which I'm going to do. I'm going to have it up before – uh, this this posting goes up, and I'll link it in the show notes. If if you want to help out that way, um, help us. Uh, we want to produce more stuff. We want to be able to make more videos and be able to put effects on it. Uh, just increase uh, the quantity and production quality. If you if you can't afford to financially, then that didn't it didn't then spread the word. If you like the show, spread the word. Tell your friends about it. Any any help like that is greatly appreciated. And that's it. We uh, uh, we love you all. <laughs> All right. See you later, Bigley. All right. See you later. Yes, it does. Yes, it does.